Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. Hi, everyone. My name is Amy Lee. I'm a practicing cytopathologist at Massachusetts General Hospital, where I'm also an associate professor of pathology at Harvard Medical School. I'm here today talking with Allison Goldberg, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Pathology and Genomic Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. She is also the director of the Cytopathology Fellowship Program and the Associate Director of the Pathology Residency Program. Along with Kelly Daxson, cytotechnologist, Dr. Goldberg is this year's winner of the 2022 IAC ASC Abstract Award. Thanks so much for being here with us, Allison. Thanks for having me. So your project was entitled Telecytology Rapid On-Site Evaluation with real-time communication between cytopathologist, cytotechnologist, and operator offers better adequacy rates for lymph node fine needle aspirations. Could you give us a brief summary of your project and findings? Sure. So um, I think this project was really born uh, noticing, right, we keep track of adequacy, uh, as I'm sure a lot of places do, both for um, specimens with rows and without rows. Uh, during the pandemic, which coincided, or during the start of the pandemic, I should say, which coincided with um, expanding our practice geographically, uh, telecytology was added. We were already doing it in some locations, but was added uh, in additional locations. And there was talk that it would continue to be added in more. Um, I think the pandemic also, at least in the beginning, folks were happy to stay closer to home for their procedures, so excited to maybe be having their procedures done in these locations that were distinct from our center city institution. Um, all of that led me to say, I wonder if telecytology rose is as good or potentially even better um, than sort of the classic rose uh, for adequacy. And then if, if so, or if not, is it just as good or better for everything, for certain organs, um, you know, sort of experientially, I was noticing that for organs where there maybe is more of a conversation, um, telecytology was, was doing great things and showing the operator, like, this is what I mean. We're all looking at it together. I need more because, see these cells? I need more of them or, you know, whatever the in instance was. I wanted to do that deep dive into our numbers and see if if my experiential you know life was was statistically going to play out. Yeah, definitely, we've all noticed an increase in the use of rows and the very positive impacts that it has on clinical care for our patients. In your study, you reviewed a year's worth of lymph node and thyroid FNAs where rows. Uh, was or was not performed and found that any type of rose decreased the inadequacy rate for lymph nodes in thyroid FNAs. And 
you also found that inadequacy rates were further reduced by the use of telecytology rows as compared to classic rows for lymph nodes, but not for thyroids. Correct. So I noticed that in your study, uh, in your practice rather, thyroid FNA utilized telecytology for rows in a majority of cases, whereas the opposite was true for lymph node FNAs. What factors in your practice do you think contributed to this difference? So, I mean, the honestly, I think the biggest thing is location, right? Uh, certain uh, places where we uh, perform FNAs have telecytology capabilities, and then frankly, some don't. So if, if they don't have the capability, we can't do it. Um, I think that is probably the biggest determiner. Um, almost always, if the FNA is being done in a place where there is telecytology capabilities, it's being utilized. So I think location is, is the biggest determiner there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, your study reviewed cases from 2021 was around the time the pandemic really caused all of us to have to shift our practices. Do you have a sense as to whether at your institution, the use of telecytology for rows increased in response to the pandemic? And if there has been any shift that persisted in your practices there? I think the, the shift was already on, let's say, before the pandemic hit. Um, you know, simultaneously to the pandemic, Jefferson uh, started expanding from an enterprise standpoint. Um, you know, telecytology obviously offers a huge benefit in allowing me and my center city office to perform rows at a variety of, of locations. I think that was already happening. And then the pandemic, I would say, accelerated and enhanced those changes. Um, you know, we really saw patients wanting to stay close to home and it's phenomenal to be able to provide them the same level of care in a location that they're more comfortable with. Um, I think workforce shortages, which again, were probably secondary to the pandemic, but perhaps there were other uh, things already happening uh, to lead to workforce shortages, but I think those workforce shortages have also enhanced the desire to expand telecytology um, to doctor's offices as well. Um, and you know, I, I think it will only continue to increase. Yeah, I think that we mostly would, most of us would agree with that. Um, <laughs> do you have any information about how telecytology rose in your practice impacted the length of the FNA procedures for the operators and patients? That's a great question. I, it's not something that I measured and compared specifically. I think it's a fantastic sort of follow-up to this. Um, my feel is that it probably doesn't increase the time and may even decrease it uh, in that nobody's walking anywhere, um, right? When we, especially um, like our busy, satellite locations. We have a cytotechnologist who's there all day sitting in the IR suite ready to be called. Um, and then we're, you know, on the phone expecting those phone calls. 
I would guess it's the same or faster to do telecytology, but I, I can't, I don't have the numbers to prove it, but I, I'd be excited to do that. Yeah, that would definitely be an interesting um, question for figuring out efficiency aspects Absolutely. of telecytology rows. I would say it is very inefficient to perform an inadequate procedure. So, <laughs> so if nothing else, decreasing the inadequacy should have some positive impact on efficiency. But I, I agree, the length of, of each individual procedure uh, is important information to have. Yeah, absolutely agree. So in your practice, did having telecytology rows allow rose coverage to be provided to sites that were not previously doing rose at all? So there are sites that, uh, let's say, switched coverage from a more physically close practice group to a more physically distance practice group. So, you know, allows for, say, redistribution of work. Um, in a way that is more efficient to physician time, which is wonderful. Um, and I would say in response to this project and just sort of general positive feelings about telecytology, we are working towards expanding it to offices uh, and areas that previously did not have ROSE capabilities, which I think is really exciting. Um, but I think that's truly meeting our patients where they are and providing them the best possible care we can. Yeah, this is really great work that your app director has presented and worked on. And the positive impacts of having telecytology rows available to so many other sites that perhaps would not have had this service possible is definitely going to be changing access for patients and workload, turnaround times and efficiency, I think. So uh, congratulations for completing this work and of course, winning the award. What did you find most exciting and rewarding about this project in particular? Um, so thank you. Uh, you know, I think a couple of things. Um, in some ways, the the best part of, of this work was getting to work with our supervisor. She, at that point, was relatively new to us, but not cytology. She is incredibly quality-minded and just honestly a pleasure to work with. Um, it was wonderful to get to do this project with her. Um, I think it's also really rewarding just to be able to say, you know, yes, this telecytology is is. Um, just as good, if not better. We're not providing less care by not being right at the bedside. Um, so it sort of validates that best care for patients. Um, and I think it also, it helped in relationship building with clinicians, right? I'm now more likely if I get a little pushback uh, when asking for more to say, come, come over to the scope, take a look. I will show you why I'm asking for this. It's not, you know, it's not to be difficult. And I think those conversations are important. I think they save time and, and um, improve efficiency, let's say, um, down the road, even if they maybe take a little bit more time in the moment to have that conversation. Um, uh, but I, I think that was valuable also. Yeah, the communication piece with clinicians is so important. And especially when you're dealing with a complex case, sure. Absolutely. So 
So what are your future directions that you're going to take this project in next? Um, so I would love to crunch numbers for other organ systems, right? I started with what was at least in my mind, the, uh, let's say easiest to perform adequacy to the, to one of the most complex to perform adequacy. I'm curious to see where other organs lie, um, at very least to make sure that telecytology is as good, um, for those organs. Um, I'm also curious if the type of telecytology matters, um, right? Like we have satellites right now where an operator will literally do an FNA, put it all in a fixative, send it to us, and we'll make a thin prep and a cell block. Um, would we improve adequacy if they did one direct smear and, and sent us a still image of it? Um, or right, I know that there's setups we're talking about where the operator would uh, do a direct smear and then they can put that in a machine that then from my desk, I can manipulate the slide. Um, would that be uh, better or worse? You know, what's the cytologist's, or excuse me, the cytotechnologist's role in all this? You know, we have really fantastic cytotechnologists that are um, directing the slide to the most important places immediately. Um, how key is that in both getting adequate material, but then it also in the efficiency aspect, right? If, if I'm looking at a lymph node and you take me directly to the obvious squamous cell carcinoma, okay, we're probably good at just moving on, I, you know, and I wouldn't expect an operator to be able to do the same thing. Um, so sort of teasing out that important cytotechnologist role there also um, could be interesting. Yeah, those are all really, really important and interesting questions to look at. So what did you learn from this experience and how, what kind of advice might you give others? Um, so, I mean, I think the first thing is if it's a question that you're curious about, it's worth investigating, um, right? Uh, I think sometimes I know I can be neg you know, have negative self-talk. I think it's really important to try to defeat that negative self-talk. If you're curious, that's reason enough to investigate it. Um, you know, I think I also, certainly I knew that relationship building uh, with my supervisor and across disciplines was important, um, but it's nice to see that positive response. Um, so, right, I would, I guess, encourage others, you know, to keep relationship building and open communication in mind. Um, I think those are the, the basic things. Yeah, I think the the words that you said about the negative self-talk, I would like to just echo that. It is really important to listen to yourself in terms of what you find interesting and exciting to pursue. And someone out there will also find it interesting and exciting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's right, a, a critical mass, or right? It, it's so, it's wonderful to do research that you find exciting. It's even more wonderful to find someone who's also exciting. I think that can be like a positive feedback loop instead, um, which is just a great feeling to be part of. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully you're submitting this as a manuscript to, to JASC. Uh, so we submitted it as a manuscript, I wanna say last week, um, right? Taking something from abstract to manuscript form with all of the other things going on in our lives 
always takes longer than you want it to. Um, but right, I think the process of turning it into a manuscript obviously is a huge learning process. Um, we got our cytopathology fellow here uh, at Jefferson involved with that process, which is good education for him. Um, also important relationship building for him. Um, so hoping to hear back with good news soon. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we, I mean, I would anticipate this would be an interesting project that would get published. And yes, you're right, taking it from an abstract um, state to a full peer-reviewed manuscript is a whole other level of presenting your work, but for sure a really, really important step in showcasing all the achievements and intellectual questions that you're answering, which are pushing the for pushing forward our entire field. So I look forward to reading it in the journal in the near future. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and I would say also the, the joy of publishing is then you get the possibility of finding more like-minded folks to enhance your positive feedback loop. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to find your audience. Exactly. Well, Dr. Goldberg, it's been a pleasure talking to you about your work. Congratulations again on your award. And we look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you for listening to CytopathPod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at asc at cytopathology.org. Oh, 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 oh